Hello, and welcome to Semi-Automagic, Doof Media's dive into Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files book series. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. This is the pilot for a new show that we're running as part of our pilot season. Thanks to Enamoured for donating to make this episode possible. Yeah, and uh, if you like this show and you want to see it continue, uh, leave your feedback on this pilot using the form that's linked in the show notes below. Uh, We're using that as one of the big metrics to decide what we go forward with at the end of pilot season. Yeah. Now, on to the show. Episode one of Semi-Automagic, we're talking about the first book in the Dresden Files, Stormfront, uh, chapters one through nine. Yeah, it's about the first third of the book. Yep. Um, so this is the introduction to uh, to old Harry Dresden here, um, who lives in a world of, uh, it's not New York, what is it? Oh yeah, Chicago. Chicago, um, yeah. Chicago magic and wizards and stuff and, and goblins and trolls and all that stuff. Um, and he's a, in fact, the only wizard private eye. Yeah, I love how quickly this first chapter just starts to establish that we're in this kind of, like... Detective, yeah. no, film noir slash urban fantasy crossover. Yeah. Um, like I was pretty on board with that combination uh, almost immediately. Yeah, I like the combination. I like the world that we're starting to get things set in. Um, I actually think it it started out seeming to me a little bit more generic than it actually ends up being. As we yeah. continue, we start to find some of the things that make this world really interesting. Um, Whereas when you hear it's, oh, it's like <laughs> it's like Lord of the Rings mixed with a grimy Chicago, the thing that immediately I think of is like, you know the movie Bright with Will Smith? I was about to say, it's that Will Smith movie from Netflix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought the, the same thing. One that everyone really hated, but somehow was a major <laughs> success, um, which is kind of an overdone trope. Uh, but it, Dresden Files does differentiate itself with some interesting developments of the world, so that's fun. Um, anyway, yeah. chapter one, what happens is Harry Dresden gets two phone calls with business, which uh, is exceptional for him because usually he gets, like, one every week or two. Yeah, and so, I mean, basically, like, Dresden is just, in in a lot of ways, this very stereotypical, like, um, you know, grizzled male detective, but he's yep. also a wizard. Like, he's a, he, he even has an office with, like, one of those Windows signs that's, like, yep. Harry Dresden, wizard. <laughs> and, and, you know again like a mailman comes and that's how like through we sort of through that conversation with the mailman we get introduced to all this stuff about how magic is real most people think he's crazy for thinking that yeah and um yeah again he operates as a as a pi because he has a fucking office with a signed window thing that like if it doesn't get smashed by the end of the series then what's even the fucking yeah, point someone's you know? gonna have to throw somebody through it one of these books <laughs> um yeah and, and i think the sign on his door and the fact that he thinks about how he's the only entry under wizard in the phone book is um is is what introduces us to the tone of this book which is quite light right like it's quite light-hearted and there's a sense of the kind of ridiculousness that harry dresden calls himself a wizard in modern day chicago and and the amount of for example people that call him to do kids birthday parties so so much so that he has to put that in his yellow pages listing what are they is, is it yellow pages outside of australia like the phone oh, book you know yeah i don't know or isn't white pages the business one white pages you'd be in the white pages know. yeah but true. again that might be australian specific um, let's just call it the phone book the phone book yeah um yeah i think like i like i do think this this book does an interesting job of juggling this very hard, serious, like grizzled detective story. And then also kind of contrasting it with the absurdity of the fantasy elements. Like it's kind of reveling in playing off those two very opposite tones. Yeah. um, Like and intermingling them. And I think it does a pretty good job for the most part. I I agree with the exception of, I think Harry Dresden as our protagonist is a bit too much into the, serious side like he takes himself very seriously weirdly so um yeah and i don't yeah i don't know i don't know if it necessarily works that well i mean he's okay i i think we're gonna should we start, let's start talking about this now i i my opinion of this book so far is i quite enjoyed it but the part that I really didn't enjoy the most is Harry Dresden. Harry Dresden. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to have to talk about that a number of times throughout this episode. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where Harry goes with this because yeah. I'm perhaps foolishly, I don't know, I haven't read them, clinging on to this hope that Harry's going to get some sort of comeuppance for 
um let's just say his worldview yes um like yeah i like i don't know i'm finding it frustrating but we're like you know again we're a third of the way through the first book yeah um because of the way we're doing this pilot season we aren't yet in the situation where one of us has read the whole thing so we don't quite know where it's going so it's hard to tell whether it's frustrating us as it should or like you know whether whether we just don't (laughs) like him yeah, let's talk about this more as we go into chapter two because chapter yeah. two, uh, Dressing goes to investigate. Oh, well, so, hold on, before before we yeah. jump into chapter two, I just do want to talk about one other thing uh, Dresden internally monologues about in chapter one, um, where he he starts to talk about how magic is making a bit of a comeback, mm. um, like, and it's sort of the perception of it is changing. Um, it, it's really interesting because he, he sort of sets it up as this thing as like, oh, technology had this big rise, and then it hasn't just fixed the world like it was meant to. And so now everyone's sort of turning back to magic a bit. And um, mm. we see a lot more the way sort of technology and magic interact or, or more don't um, throughout this this thing. I'm kind of interested to see where that through line goes um, throughout the story. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, in our non-Dresden Files world, I'd agree that that's happening and people are kind of turning away from science as yep. a result to it, and you get this kind of reactionary anti-scientific, you know, bodies like flat earth or anti-vax movements or whatever. And I, I do quite like the idea that, uh, the wizarding world, is that what it's called? That's the Harry Potter one. Sorry. But the, whatever. The never, or no, the, the never, nev- never seems to be some sort of alternate magic world. Yeah, like world. some arcane plane. Anyway, yeah. the world of magic that Harry Dresden inhabits is the equivalent of that. It's the place <laughs> where people who have started to reject technology turn for, you know, alternate methods of doing things. Yeah. I mean, something, something we'll have to talk about later is like one of the things about Harry and indeed sort of all the other magical wizards and whatever is we have no idea like how does someone end up becoming a wizard like we know very yes. little about harry's past specifically yes. we've only gotten the barest of hints so far um so i'm very interested to learn more about the world and like how does someone like harry become a wizard yeah in a world where it's seemingly <clears throat> most of the population doesn't really believe magic is real yeah definitely what does that indoctrination process look like it, yeah i think it's something interesting um yeah, so uh, in this first chapter, Harry gets calls from two different potential clients. One is uh, somebody from the police, who the Chicago PD, who sometimes calls him in as a consultant. And one is a, a private individual who is asking for help locating somebody. Uh, they don't give too many details right now. Um, so Harry, in chapter two, goes to investigate the police crime scene and finds this kind of horrifying scene and this chapter is horrifying in two ways um the first is this uh crime scene which is truly horrific but almost as horrific is the way he interacts with the other character that we meet in this scene his name is lieutenant murphy uh and who is this female um police uh captain detective who kind of manages the uh manages the whatever the obscure crimes department yeah yeah, it's called SI in this one. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, so we write our notes uh, as we're going for these pilot season shows. So, like, I'm I'm reading my note here that I've written at the start of chapter two, which is um, if these two end up together, I will quit everything. Yeah. Um, I kind of take that back because now I've got a list of about three or four female characters <laughs> that that would apply to. Um, <sighs> I, I suppose we can get there. Yeah. Um, so the elephant in the room that we've been dodging around is. What Harry refers to as his old-fashionedness. Yeah. Um, he sees himself as an old-fashioned gentleman, which is not correct. Um, <laughs> he he just is quite chauvinistic, right? Um, yeah. In a lot of ways. And it's... Uh, uh, we should specify, I don't actually think this is the author's opinions about women. I don't think the author is a, a sexist, right? Because... There are scenes where these characters, Lieutenant Murphy here, calls him out on... She calls him a chauvinist. She calls him chauvinistic here. Yeah. And and it's a little bit winky, but it's also obviously quite annoying to her. Um, and so it's clearly an intentional choice that our author is making to make Harry Dresden a bit of a dick. And I... it Like, I don't... It still just gets to me. Like, I just can't let it be a thing. I can't let it be a character flaw. It's just too annoying to let it be a character flaw <laughs> that I'm going to see get resolved if that presumably happens over the course of these books. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't want to spend too much 
time on this, I suppose, because I don't want to get. I don't want this podcast to end up yeah. being negative. But like, yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree that this. I, I'm I'm holding out hope that you know because of some of these moments you've mentioned that like this is something Harry's going to have to fix. Yeah, he does um, seem to be confronted on this and other similar kinds of behaviors basically repeatedly over the course yeah. of this book. Um, but you know, I guess it's just still kind of fr- frustrating to to read. I, I agree, but um, that. It's like it, there's still so much other stuff I like in this book, so I'm just going to yeah. kind of try and talk about that the most because I don't, I don't want this to be a bummer podcast episode. Yeah, totally. I, I don't want to... Like, there's a lot of stuff in this book that I also enjoy, but when your main character has one central thing that just grates on you, and it is it is very film noir. Like, that's why it's obviously so intentional yeah. is because it is a film noir style of thing to do. I, yeah, just, it's just kind of like that. Um, actually, I found that a few of the film noir stylings frustrated me about this book like uh, harry is obviously internally narrating stuff as it happens and he'll do that kind of narration where he's like oh and this is what happened and the white council have this thing where they do this and That's it's a good very accent. Nice. hey thanks i don't know what a <laughs> chicago accent is but i'm assuming it's something like that, that. was a very film noir narration accent yeah, at, yeah. at the very least working on my accent so i can do better D character accents <laughs> um anyway so yeah and the white council they're all about whatever protecting the rules of magic they're like a ministry of magic type and harry is basically giving us this exposition which feels very in character and feels very film noir but again it's just kind of like he's just telling us things for for (laughs) five minutes you know yeah i there were definitely a few moments where um it was just sort of like oh okay this has just been like a page and a half of exposition yeah um but yeah i I, it didn't bother me that much as you said it did feel very film noir to me yes um, so I kind of like got into it cause it, it, it felt like those moments where we're just looking at like a, a scene of a rainy street, uh, yeah. with the, with the, uh, you know, grizzled detective narrating it. Um, I, I also think like a lot of this stuff is just setting up the mysteries of Dresden's past. Like, yeah. Like, so much of his exposition doesn't tell us the important parts. Um, but in a way that wasn't like overwhelming, like, you know, how sometimes like fantasy books can just overload you with phrases that are unique to the book early in the thing and you're just like i have no idea what's fucking going on yeah i never i never felt like that with this it was always like i could i knew what he was talking about or i could keep up but like i had no idea what he was talking about i suppose yeah Um, i think one of the strengths of it is that it leans into established supernatural tropes first and then starts to deviate from them you know like we set up ideas of fairies and goblins and they behave somewhat like you'd expect but then as you interact with them a bit more, it gets a little bit weirder. So, for example, vampires are set up in this chapter or the next one, and we see a vampire later, and they behave as, like, 90% what we'd expect and 10% its own thing, which makes it really interesting, I think. Yeah, so it's, like, but, the best but of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, like, there's there's lots of fun little things. Like, I've pulled out this one quote from this chapter uh, where, in the middle of going on about something or other, uh, Dresden quickly interjects with, um, I do have a godmother, and she is inevitably perhaps a fairy, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, and like that—that that was one of the, the quintessential little bits of world building that I thought the narration did inject in very well. Yes, just sort of like there's so much more to this world, and it seems like that. Like that's such a good hook. I was like, I will read that story. That sounds hilarious. Yeah, there's a lot of those kinds of things where he just drops one line that's. That could be its own, you know, eight or nine chapters, or could just be a little piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where we start to learn a bit more about the the magic system. Um, and, and like, it's a very like personal magic system. I guess is the word I want to use for it. Like, it's yeah, um, sure. You you put yourself into the the magic of this world in a very emotional sense. Like, I thought that was a really cool idea like even you know these are the notes i was taking as i was reading chapter two and i was already like this is so cool the way that like horrible emotions lead to horrible magic and then that's great storytelling because then that's going to lead to other people having horrible emotions which will lead to them doing horrible magic um like there's there's a sort of when you put yourself into the actions of the magic that kind of propagates those feelings like it's a it's a really cool storytelling idea 
Yeah, I think the magic system, again, I, I think this is something that happens a lot in these chapters. It's the first few chapters, it feels like it's going to be quite cliched, but then this story really differentiates itself as it progresses more. And I found myself really enjoying chapters seven through nine as just like, oh, this is going in some really interesting places. Yeah, well, even in this second chapter, I was already kind of sold, like, I think a lot of fantasy series will often try to sell you the idea of, like, there's dark magic and it's, yeah. like, very bad like yeah. you know like like the like star wars is kind of one of the quintessential ones where it's you know the the jedi are so polarized on on the light and the dark side yeah um and, and some of them i'm not always sold on how intrinsically evil dark magic is because mm. it's just kind of like well it's probably situations where it's not terrible yeah um and and you know and that's where you end up with crap like where the jedi have their slippery slopes and and whatever mm. um I think this setup really sold the horror of dark magic to me because Dresden starts immediately talking about how how personal and how much of yourself you put into magic. So for someone to have like exploded two people's chests, that's that's like really full on. Like it's not yeah. something you can do by accident. Yeah. This is something that you have poured yourself into doing. And that's like for one of the first times I was like, oh, okay, like dark magic, it's really bad. And like, you know, like Yeah, and you have to be bad to do it. Yes, exactly. Like, you know, I could, this is like a universe where I could see something like the White Council drawing a more reasonable line between good magic and bad magic. I I think they probably haven't based on the way, well, based on what we've learned about them so far. Um, but like, this was one of the first times I've really instantly been sold on the idea of dark magic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this was my least favorite chapter, but uh, I want to keep going because there's a lot of cool stuff that I want to talk about in this book so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so chapter three, uh, Harry Dresden is given a lift back to his office by a crime boss. We learn that one of the people murdered here was working for a crime boss and Harry goes to start investigating and then immediately runs into this crime <laughs> boss who has been looking for him, uh, whose name is Marcone or Marconi. Um I think it's Marconi just because that's like it feels most, more criminal. Yeah, like, it's the most stereotypical hey, gangster. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very like nineteen fifties film gangster name, yeah. um, which slots into this books perfectly. Yes, um, yeah, this was definitely like, like I think this interaction with Marconi was probably one of the character interaction highlights of the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I I thought the way these two played off each other was was really good. Yeah. Um, I think we start to see that Dresden, Harry Dresden, is kind of defined by he he always seems to get into situations that are a little bit out of his pay grade and has to kind <laughs> of um, improv his way through them. And this is the first example of that where he clearly could so easily be murdered right here. Like, it's on the cards a few times in this conversation. Um and he, he doesn't because he manages to navigate it effectively enough that he isn't uh, killed by this crime boss. Um, and can we... I really like Marconi. He He's this... He's kind of described as an accountant version of a crime boss, right? He's he he's terrifying not because he'll kill you for no reason, but because he'll kill you for a very impersonal reason. Like, if you cost him too much money, he'll just kill you, and he doesn't give a shit about that. Yeah, and those kind of cold, quiet, reserved villains are always my favourite. I think that's come up on MediaMD a couple of times. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, that's one of the reasons I just instantly fell in love with Marconi here. Um, I hope he sort of shapes up to be the antagonist for the book um, because I, I'll very much enjoy that. Either that mm. or he's going to end up with Dresden as some sort of antagonistic ally. Yeah, it's um, unclear whether he's responsible or just cares about wanting to get this solved and doesn't want Dresden there's, in his way there's a viable reason why he is threatening Dresden here and yes. isn't part of it um but yeah I mean kind of either way I was just like I was instantly sold on Marconi as a kind of villain I'm keen to see him come back and, and be a problem yeah I think as you said that kind of that the way he'll just impersonably be extremely cold towards you and, and be brutal I think is always makes for very thrilling storytelling yeah um the other thing that this chapter does that's really cool is it introduces a mechanic that really differentiates the Dresden files which is uh soul gazing um which is this thing where when you look in the eyes of a wizard you and they both look into each other's souls so you like get this really clear picture of who this person is what have they done like what's their story you know um mm. and it's a really cool 
it's a really cool idea and it's a really cool way for Marconi's terrifying nature to really land for us. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, especially the, the first two chapters actually invested a lot of words in noting how nobody could ever look Dresden in the eye because yes. meeting the eyes of a wizard is just too intense. Yeah. And so it makes this bit where Marconi just looks him in the eye for an extended period, like land even harder because we've been having that built up for us. Yeah. Like a lot already in this short span of time. And then there's this great flow of like Dresden is so busy reading Marconi that he's kind of like, oh, wow, this guy's kind of scary. And then he realizes Marconi wasn't phased at all that they met eyes. And so he's like, oh shit, he's read me. And then he puts together, I was already terrified of this guy and now he knows everything about me too. Like, <laughs> oh fuck. Uh, yeah. It's this really sort of good train of thought. Like it, the moment landed so well for me. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it really works quite well, doesn't it? Because mm. Harry's terror at, at this as it unfolds, as the implications of it unfold to him and to us is so genuine that it really yeah. amps up just how dangerous Marconi is. Yeah, and, and I, like, again, I think Marconi is a great antagonist for Dresden. Like, um, he he's calm, whereas I don't think I'd use the word calm to define how Dresden seems to act in a lot of these situations. Mm. Uh, Marconi seems very well connected. Uh, Dresden doesn't have any friends. Um, but then, like, they, they do share some of those traits. Like, Marconi is sort of very upfront and kind of transparent. Um, and, and one of the, the things Dresden prides himself on is is his honesty. Um, so like, I think, I think, yeah, I, I'm just, again, I'm excited to see these two kind of duke it out. Like, I hope that's where it goes. Yeah. We'll have to see. Um, so, uh, Justin is dropped back off at his office where in chapter four, he meets with this other client, the private client, who is a woman who wants to find her missing husband. And so, uh, Dresden's specialty is finding missing things. So he, she's, uh, recruited him to find out where her husband has gone. Yeah. Um, little side note, I kind of love this, just this little thread in the chapter, um, about how this woman has a bit of plausible deniability for why she mm. came to Dresden. It's because her husband was getting into magic. And so now it's like, she can continue to sort of appear to not have gone crazy herself. Yeah. But it's like, well, Harry, Harry understands magic too. So it's just like, he's on the same wavelength as my crazy husband. So he can track <laughs> him down. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why this stood out to me so much, but it just hit me as this nice little bit of realism that this lady is like, I, you know, even if I don't really believe in this stuff, you're still the, the right person for it. Yes, clearly the person who, you know, claims to know about magic, whether they're lying or telling the truth or like delusional, they're obviously going to know the right things to be investigating because that's what her husband would have done. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it, like, it helps sell this idea that like no one actually comes to Harry <laughs> for, the, for the job that he like thinks he's doing yeah um and he actually has a few beats of thinking that the husband's probably just run out on her and that's probably yeah. gonna be it which is not something you need a wizard for but whatever you know yeah like i doubt this is the first case he's taken on that has a high probability of just being a, a like really bog standard pi job yeah um and pi that's pi uh, personal investigator, not or, or private eye, not like paranormal investigator, which is what he calls himself. It which could is like, be both, whatever. Good, good fun one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I I do quite enjoy the the like magical PI angle. Like I think obviously this book seems like it's going in an overarching plot direction, which is fine. But I do think I'd really enjoy a book of just Dresden Files short stories of Harry investigating, you know, Sherlock Holmes esque little cases that just have magical deductions that need to be made i think that's just kind of a fun conceit like i'm yeah i enjoyed this chapter just because it was very very much just him kind of asking questions doing some standard investigation not anything crazy just like magical investigating yeah i actually was was looking up this the series as, as some of the last minute prep we did just before we sat down and yeah i saw there are actually two collections yes of published of short, short stories. stories yeah um which yeah like if this is not the show that we move forward with I could see myself picking those up before even going for book two yeah. of, of the main series, just because, like, I, I think that would... I agree, that would be some of the most fun. And, I mean, you know, if you think about how many TV shows like X-Files, Fringe, yeah. uh, even the show Supernatural, like, the kind of episodic short story um, supernatural detective genre uh, is, is pretty long-lasting long for, for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just hooks in. It's pretty fun, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so one last thing I wanted to pull out from, from this chapter is, uh, Dresden's thinking a little bit about why this guy might've run off if, if he was doing it for magical reasons. And, uh, he thinks a lot of sorcerers or wannabe sorcerers seclude themselves in the belief that isolation would increase their ability to focus on their magic. It didn't, but it did make it easier for a weak (laughs) or untrained mind to avoid distractions. And like, this is some real, like, self-awarewolves content right here. <laughs> because Dresden has done so much to kind of isolate himself. Yeah. Somewhat intentionally, somewhat not. Um, but, like, a- again, this is sort of drawing, you know, he starts talking about what sorcerers do and what wizards do. And it's starting to draw these lines between good magic and bad magic. Mm. Um, and what's funny is Dresden on paper does actually fit more of the points towards the bad magic than the good i would i would have said Mm. um so it's funny how like he keeps being surprised that everyone thinks he's the murderer like that's a recurring thread we haven't really got to yet but yeah everyone he meets is sort of like did you do it yeah um and and he's kind of like so shocked because he sees himself as this upstanding old-fashioned gentleman yeah um but like when you read this list of (laughs) what are the traits of sorcerers i was just like I can see why everyone thinks Harry is one of them. Yeah, this kind he, of all suit him. He is a bit delusional, isn't he? Like, <laughs> he sees himself as this, like, he's heroic, he's, like, upstanding, but he is just grimy and a bit shit. Like, yeah, I think Harry yeah. definitely has a different impression of himself than the impression we as the audience and the rest of the characters in the book get of him. Yes, I, I think his impression of himself is different to the one he gives off to everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> yeah um so speaking of let's talk about chapter <laughs> five where dresden goes to a uh, bar uh to get a drink and he is met by a reporter who has been tailing him and they have a brief conversation yep so first of all quick note uh mac who's the the, the barkeep of this pub yeah um barely speaks any words so until it's proven otherwise, I'm headcanning him as like a Frankenstein's monster. Yep, he does do a few choice grunt kind of things. Yeah, as he, well. most, he mostly grunts, so he's a Frankenstein's monster until proven otherwise. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, something we we talked a little bit about in chapter one, but I want to bring up again here is um, like the the way that wizards don't interact well with technology. I love how that's starting to draw this clear sort of line between the world of technology and the world of magic. And, yes. Um. It's interesting how, like, it, we're setting up this thing of, like, magic's making a comeback in the world because you could see magic versus tech as this idea of the old world versus the new world. Like, that mm. was the first place my mind went is, oh, you know, wizards are stuck in the past and, and yeah. that kind of applies to Harry. So that, that may have been why my mind went there. Um, and, but then if, if magic's making this comeback, like, I, I'm interested to see where the metaphor might go there of, um, you know, magic versus technology and which one's dominant in the world. Mm. Yeah, I, I do think the the notes of technology failing around Harry, one is a great comedic beat, but also does yeah. set up this interesting conflict. And I wonder if there are any like more tech focused characters that we're going to start seeing be introduced just to provide some more detail and context and, and conflict around that. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm interested to see where it, where it goes as a concept. Um, I, I think that that could actually be just like a bit of a freebie superpower, to be honest. Like, you know, if he sneaks up on a mook and that mook tries to radio someone, chances are the radio is not going to work. So, like, yeah, it, like I know it's it's a pain in the ass for his day to day, but like in certain situations, the fact that you kind of break all tech in your vicinity is actually a bit of a superpower. Yeah, it's the kind of little whimsical touch that gives me like terry pratchett style vibes you know yeah and that's obviously quite a good thing like that it it (laughs) makes the world feel more alive having these weird little bits and pieces around it yeah and and in fact like um on on that note the setup of the bar is really cool so this bar is set up in lots of groups of 13 and pillars are strategically placed to kind of break up magical energy because yeah i guess a lot of magical creatures and wizards they they build up and they sort of you know release these currents of energy like from the sounds of it and basically this bar is designed to stop those building up because with so many wizards in the bar you know it could become explosive <laughs> yeah um like just this really cool uh, again like it's a very personal magic system and, and this idea that you know people emanate 
um or as i mean i guess we've seen that in other works we've done podcasts on um it's just a really cool idea and, and watching it be thought about in the design of the bar uh, is a nice touch yeah i really like the idea that wizard architecture needs to be carefully considered so that power doesn't accidentally pull in one place or whatever yeah, you yeah. Know? it is it does um yeah, it, again, makes it feel alive, right? And and this uh, this wizard bar is like a, a perfect like film noir bar cliche mixed with wizard <laughs> shit. Like there's these weirdos playing chess silently in the back of the bar, and I'm sure there's some weird creature, but it's not it's not touched on. It's just like yeah, sure, this can be both a film noir cliche and a wizard, a modern supernatural cliche, and have those things both work well together. It's it's very like like Men in Black did almost the exact yes, same bit yes. but with aliens, um, and that like that that was what this made me think of. I had the same thought. Like it, it just it sells the mashup of fantasy bar and like detective bar very well. Yeah, um, let's talk about Dresden and Susan the reporter uh, because again, <laughs> I mean maybe let's not hit this beat too hard, but it's the exact same thing as with as with Lieutenant uh, Murphy. Susan is, like, plays... It seems to be, as a character, intentionally playing up the femme fatale angle a bit here. And Dresden leans so heavily into the, like, grizzled masculine detective. It's just very... It's self-aware, yes. As in, the book is self-aware. I don't know if the characters are (laughs) self-aware. But, uh, again, it's just... Man, it's just like... It feels like it's from a book written 40 years ago. I I did It's sort of have my fingers crossed and i think there's a few hints that hopefully she's kind of playing him Um, yes i think so a a big part of that's going to be how genuine this date is um which is presumably only a chapter or two away from happening where we finish yep um so that should be coming out but like that that'll be a big clincher for me on how i view this interaction in retrospect because if it's her kind of manipulating and taking advantage of of his old-fashioned values yes um i can get on board with yeah, it totally punish more. him for his character flaw. <laughs> do it like that'll yeah, make it exactly better. um i i just I, I mean i guess i said i didn't want to get too negative but i have to call out like the final lines of this chapter yeah. are, um she so she kisses him on the cheek and asks him out and as he's sort of leaving he thinks to himself you know people say wizards are subtle uh but we have nothing on women yeah and it's just like she just kissed you and asked you out like that's not yeah oh so subtle. subtle so subtle <laughs> like you know her intentions could be going either way like you know i've got my fingers crossed for for one but like subtle is not the word i would use to describe that interaction at all yes yes it is not subtle at all um let's move on <laughs> i don't want to talk <laughs> about this more because I, I don't have anything positive to say about that interaction <laughs> yeah um uh, no okay one positive thing which is during this interaction we get a little bit of a hint at dresden's backstory which is nice um and we learn about how he apparently accidentally murdered the first woman that he dated and this ties into some threads about um him talking about how he's accidentally killed someone with magic before which is presumably what what this is referring to and is an interesting thread and possibly explains some of his attitudes towards women i'm not sure but i'm excited to find out more about it because it is an interesting kind of dark backstory that i think will go a long way towards uh humanizing uh, harry yeah the more we learn about his backstory like yeah because i like obviously we've both come away with impressions of harry that aren't the most generous yes um and like it'll be interesting to see how filling in his backstory more um because it's very empty right now how much that allows us to sort of understand why he is the way he is yeah um because i do like i think later it's established that his murder charge was also for his mentor so was his first love also the the woman who got him into magic and taught him things like that Mm. that would be yes that that adds a lot to things in a lot of ways because i think it was self-defense so she must have turned on him and tried to kill him so yeah I, yeah i don't know it'll it'll be interesting to, to learn more about that yeah definitely um yeah we're gonna learn the next two chapters talk more about the world building stuff so i think let's get to it as we get to it um yeah so uh, the next thing that happens in in chapter six is dresden goes and tricks and traps a dewdrop fairy um basically i mean it's the cliche of of squeezing an informant for info yeah, right yeah. but with a fairy which is great <laughs> 
um yeah i, I absolutely love this as, as the the squeezing the informant uh trope i love the interpretations of fairy as well like just on their own this this idea of like how they're they're that take on immortality where they're just kind of so stuck in the moment because of it they don't really hold on to their memories because yeah. there'd be too many to hold on to yeah um this this is again another snippet that shows us how much more thought out and vast this world is than what we've seen in these nine yeah. chapters. This um, really I really like this because the characterization of these dewdrop fairies as these like I mean they're basically like rodents is the impression I got of them. Yeah. Like rodents that can talk and have what like five minute long memories harry talks about how he's tricked this exact same fairy the exact same way multiple times which is a pretty fun character beat as we meet them and learn a bit about their personality yeah they do overlap a fair bit with the um you know the sort of classic little trickster fairies just these are the very dumb variation um he does briefly mention i think that santa is a very powerful fairy so basically like this whole spectrum of fairies which again that's another one of those one line world building things that just got me so invested in the world while yeah. at the same time like um just being hilarious yeah it's a pretty good beat um yeah it, and it's the kind of shit of like santa's real or the tooth fairy is a fairy or you know some or i have a things. fairy godmother yeah it's all these like just fun little beats that make it feel like yeah it's our world and oh wait santa's real like that's a fun little note <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, uh, it's a pretty fun chapter. I think it doesn't feel like the magic stuff here is as developed as Pact. I don't want to make too many Pact comparisons, but it is going in some really interesting, fun directions. It's obviously a lot more lighthearted, so I'm kind of I'm kind of on board with stuff. Like, this chapter is where it really started to get me on board with a lot of the magic systems, this and the last chapter. This is the one that really sold me. I guess I was kind of on board for the potential yeah. of the noir meets urban fantasy crossover and this is the one that really sold it to me like as we said just the the idea of like squeezing squeezing your your wacky fairy informant for information <laughs> was just like i was just like this is exactly the kind of stupid shit i want to see in a book with this yeah with this selling point yeah um, totally like so i i agree this is why the chapter that i was like okay now we're actually doing really cool stuff with this um i do think like again you, you sort of brought this up before but um like talking about the magic system and how developed it is i think it was like three or four pages in a row that was just explaining yeah. the fairy trap after he laid it and and it was all narration and that was maybe the one time where it really stood out to me how sometimes this book just does an exposition dump yeah um and, and i mean i feel weird complaining about that because like you know when we covered pact i was the one who was always screaming just give us more text <laughs> yeah more interludes of books please <laughs> um so it seems like a weird complaint for me to have but like i i i don't know like it, it just we got a lot of detail on exactly how the fairy circle worked and i'm not sure how much of of it we needed at this stage yeah maybe there could have been more of that actually unfolding and yeah here's an interesting point the chapters in this book are so short right like each chapter is basically one scene that we see like a scene transition is where a chapter break is and it's fine it just it does feel like it leads to weird pacing like some of these scenes feel like they you know what it is i think maybe it's it's that trope of characters being kind of snappy and fast talking leading to all the conversations feeling like they wrap up really quickly and it doesn't feel 100 percent natural and again it it's intentional i think it's kind of film noir stylings but it it leaves me feeling like it's rushing a bit too much yeah because because as you pointed out i actually quite like this structure of each scene as a chapter i think that's a very natural way to do chapters um Mm. again i think in media md we've talked about like terry pratchett's uh views on chapters and and exactly what a chapter should or shouldn't be i think this is a great way to use them um i i agree though i i wouldn't be upset if you kind of extended the length of most of them most of them i think chapter nine like so we've covered nine chapters for this episode i think chapter nine represents about 25 percent of the total length of the book that we've read and i think chapter Um, nine was the first chapter where i didn't feel like that was a rushed encounter it actually feels properly fleshed out and i think chapter nine is the strongest encounter like chapter for it because it has a lot of really interesting character moments that i think would be lost if it was 15 percent shorter 
yeah yeah i agree like i think if you bumped all of the other chapters up to a similar sort of length uh the book would still be like probably better for it yeah yeah um yeah so after uh, harry's extorted the information from this fairy whose name is toot toot uh, we didn't mention that, but it is. Um, Harry gets uh, his parole officer comes and attempts to execute him, um, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, this guy's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I he's love, great. Uh, he's so basically. We find out more about the White Council, um, which are these, like they're basically the Ministry of Magic. I'm sorry about the Harry Potter reference again, but they're basically like <laughs> the police that make sure that the humans don't find out about magic. Uh, and then no one kind of breaks the rules of magic. Um, and so this character, who is basically Dresden's parole officer, making sure he doesn't fuck up again, as he has done a few times, is basically obsessed to, f- to like, finding him breaking technicalities and trying to execute him for it, which is, like, <laughs> execute as in he pulls out a sword and chops off his head for it. Um, yeah, he's, he's ready to go. The second Dresden yes. slips up, he's ready to kill him. Yes, which I think is a very fun dynamic, like, yeah. fully, yeah. fully being ready to murder him at a moment's notice. <laughs> um, y- yeah, like, in saying that, though, it's funny because, like, so the guy's name's Morgan, and he's introduced... At the start of this chapter, it's a clearly insane person because yeah. he's walking out of the bushes with a knife, with a giant sword, yeah, ready to kill Dresden. Um, for like, I mean, not quite no reason, but not the best one right now. Um, and then like Dresden does this thing that, he, and he also does a similar thing in the Marconi thing. Like when he's stressed, he tends to lash out in a very like you know stupid way that even he admits is stupid yeah. in retrospect. Uh, and he just kind of tends to punch. Well, so he punches Morgan here. <laughs> what um, a mistake like yeah and it, it's it's just one of those things where again i you know and then like later on he's like why does everyone think i'm the murderer and i'm such a yeah, loose cannon Jesus and it's Christ. like well you did just punch your parole officer the second it wasn't like official business like this is why everyone thinks you're a loose cannon yeah um yeah i i can't wait for dresden to see the error of his ways i guess i'll leave it there <laughs> yeah well, i can't wait for like like um I guess I already talked about this a bit with Marconi, but like Morgan is someone who I am almost certain will end up in the position where he has to help Dresden as like things get worse and it becomes clear Dresden wasn't the murderer. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they're going to be friends at that point. I think it's still going to be a very antagonistic ally situation. And yes. I'm, I'm all for that. Like Morgan, yeah, totally. Morgan and Dresden's dynamic was very fun, and I'm keen to see them frustrate each other uh, more and more throughout yeah, the book. Yeah, I'd love to see more Morgan. I'd love to learn more about the White Council, which seems like overly bureaucratic and the kind of annoying yeah. bureaucracy that is really fun in a story like this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to learn more about them because they don't like. It's obviously not illegal to be openly a wizard. Like Dresden is allowed to do it, but it's like it seems to be the de facto standard that everyone practices in secret. And, like, we have no idea. Is the White Council a Chicago thing? Or are they, like, all of North America? Are mm, they yeah. the state of Illinois? Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, and, and so, like, I'm just keen to learn more about them and why they hate... Well, no, I can probably tell why they hate Dresden yeah. so much. I mean, we but, hate like, Dresden. Like, it's fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm um, on side but, with them. But, yeah, like, it's going to be interesting to learn more about them and exactly where where they stand because like I, I agree with you they're being set up as maybe some people who are a bit too far on the bureaucratic like stiff end of of what is right yeah 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 uh we'll see i suppose um next dresden head back heads back home and convinces his talking skull to help him brew some potions a potion of escape for a later tricky encounter he knows he's gonna have and as payment bob this talking skull forces him to also brew a love potion yeah, and so I, I just need to say this chapter is maybe the most conflicted I've been about anything in a long yeah. time because the potion system, like this chapter is all about teaching us how potions work yes. in, in the Dresden Files. Yes. And it is so cool. It's, it's very it's, it's very cool way of brewing potions. It, it's a great extension of the magic system that's already been defined. Seeing a run through of how a potion is made is a great way to sort of get our heads around it. And yet, the example that the the book decided to go with is a bit of a dumpster fire of a choice. Yeah, specifically because I mean, Dresden is against the idea of love potions, which is great. Thank you, Dresden. You're on the right side of this for once. Yeah. Um, but Bob the Skull basically forces him to make it, and 
I don't know why. <laughs> it doesn't really make <laughs> sense. But because it's not for Bob, it's for Harry. Like Harry, they're still making the potion for Harry. But um Bob, I mean, this is Chekhov's love potion at this point, right? Yeah. Like if, if this thing doesn't get mistakenly abused somehow, it, and I just know the, it's going to go so bad. Like, I don't want to yeah. see that, man. <laughs> and Bob is so like Bob is worse than Harry in the chauvinist department oh, yeah. here, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's rough, um, but yeah, like I want to talk about the potions. Cause, yes, because they are there's some they are really, really cool, cool bits. Um, when they're brewing the love potion. Uh, one of the ingredients is diamonds and harry's like i don't have any diamonds bob and bob's like i'll just tear up a 50 into small pieces and put that in there (laughs) and that's the perfect encapsulation of how wild this potion system is it's you just put ingredients that have like symbolic meaning behind what you're trying to do into a potion and then just hope that it works yeah yeah like i i want to talk about the i'm just going to kind of describe the potion thing even though probably most people listening to this don't quite need it yeah um but i just think it's so cool and um light arc one pact spoilers it actually reminds me a bit of the awakening ritual for pact Mm. um which is a very favorable comparison for me to make um so basically all potions have eight ingredients um they have like a liquid base uh five things which each represent one of the uh the human senses and then something to represent the mind and something to represent like the spirit or the heart yeah um but I think my favorite thing about this, and, it, and again, this is that very personalized magic system, is the ingredients that will make the same potion are different for everyone. Mm. So it's it's about like, because you're putting your energy into the potion, it's about what the things mean for you. Yes. As much as what they mean in general to decide what makes the potion. Um, so like, I'm going to use the example of the escape potion, yep, because that's the example choice. we should all be using. Um <laughs> like all the ingredients like like the base was like a a jolt cola like so it's like a bit of an energy drink yeah and then he's putting things like motor oil the feathers of a bird um like bus tickets like it's all these things that have to do with like movement and, yeah and energy quickness. yeah motion exactly um and it's just such a cool idea of like you take all these things that represent different aspects but all fit the theme yeah mix them into this potion and you basically get that concept distilled into a drink that it you know probably smells and tastes terrible but (laughs) will give you magic powers for a bit yeah do you have to drink it or just like throw it on yourself we'll see i we we don't know yet i assumed drink it it does feel like drink it but it's got motor oil so i don't know (laughs) like yeah um yeah i mean it's interesting and like the concept of bob yes is, is actually quite cool yeah um like a a spirit computer even a snarky spirit computer i didn't quite like how sleazy bob came across as but like the uh, the concept of having a snarky spirit computer is very fun yeah can um, i say i liked the bob that we met in that fanfic that we did that we talked about during the all packed up live stream because bob was one of the characters in that and i was so on board with that characterization of bob that the canonical bob who is much more of a sleaze bag i actually disliked a lot more i don't remember no, you don't remember that. that no i didn't actually read that fanfic oh, you explained right. it to me yes. but um we were about 14 hours in at that yeah, point, yeah, so yeah. My, me- my long-term memory skills might have been failing me. Yeah. Um, I-, I do. I could see Dresden Files having great fanfic just because, like, you could base it on a different character and have yeah, a lot of fun totally. with the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a world that is made to be played in, right? And you can tell because yeah, there have been, like, 20 books in this Dresden Files series, right? And not just yeah. all following harry dresden they follow other characters as well i think and and that's because this is a world that's built just as a playground like you can feel it yeah like i I mean i would i reckon at least one of the short stories hopefully has to have something where somebody has a potion that was made like by someone else because i don't know if it's like i suppose it's probably when you're making it but like it it, you know the the way it's so personal that you put together potions there's so much room for people misinterpreting what someone has put into a potion i think like they could be really fun yeah like if you watch someone make one and you'd be like oh well with those things put in they must have made a potion that does x but actually it does something slightly different from x and that leads to hilarious but catastrophic results (laughs) the book writes itself Elliot. Yeah, it does. Um, so finally, like, I just I, I love this potion system. Yeah, so much. it is cool. It's, it's really great. Um, so, uh, in the ninth chapter, Harry Dresden goes to talk to Bianca, uh, who is a vampire, because the other murder victim that was at the police crime scene was a kind of vampire-s escort, I guess. Um, and Bianca is the one who manages that business. So Dresden goes to talk to her. Um, 
I was a little unclear on whether, like, the escorts themselves are also vampires, or I kind of got the impression Bianca is maybe the only vampire, and she just runs a human escort service. Possibly, yes. I, I was a little unclear of that as well. I think they were vampires, but I... I'm not sure. Yeah, by the end of it, I had the opposite impression. I okay. think all the I think all the escorts themselves are actually like just people. Fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, this is a great chapter. I loved it. It's so good. There's so many great yeah. things in it. Um, I really like the way it opens with like Dresden getting ready in the morning, um, or I think it might even be the evening by this yeah, point. Yeah, I think and, like, so. M- Murphy kind of comes around to his house, and she's like really grilling him. She's like, "I need something now." Like you know this murder is is like very high publicity you've got to give me absolutely anything and she she's basically begging him yeah while simultaneously yelling at him for not having anything and then he sort of brings up i might actually go talk to like bianca about it because she would have a lot of info and murphy's like oh no you can't do that yeah and it sells up like how bad an idea this is and how scary bianca is because murphy just immediately 180s from you have to do absolutely anything break all the rules i don't care yeah and then he's like i'm gonna go visit bianca and she's like no no no, no, anything but that i meant obviously (laughs) yeah 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 and like man the vampire portrayal in this genuinely is so horrific like the intensity of this scene and the tension of this scene is the the most intense vampire stuff that I've ever seen outside of I think Salem's Lot, a book that we talked about many many years ago. Yeah. It's just the 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 psychopathic nature of these vampires of Bianca, I guess specifically, and how she turns on a dime from the high class kind of socialite to the like pure animal vampire that purely attacks dresden after a sentence is said like not even an intense one it's just suddenly the switch is flipped and this vampire goes crazy and it's so dangerous like it's great it, yeah. it, it actually really lands so well yeah i agree like that that flicker into like a giant scary bat form which again like isn't something i've seen super often with vampires like it's a it's a nice unique twist to make her that bat like yeah um and and the way she just as you said like it kind of flicks on oh, but it's not even flicks on it's that like her human form like melts off of her which is like an extra dosage of horrifying yeah, she just loses control immediately yeah um and and again like a nice little bit of touch for this this personal magic system where dresden wards her off with like a um a pentagram because the concept that vampires are warded off with crosses is a bit of a misconception it's actually that they're warded off by the power of belief yes and since he he's not religious he carries the pentagram which is the symbol of magic and uses that to channel his belief in magic yeah um like i again i just thought that was like a really nice touch that just shows how thought out this world is yeah um we get this scene where the vampireess finally manages to get herself back under control and and harry is slightly bleeding and so she's at risk of going crazy again so she calls in an aide and and starts drinking blood from them and um of course dresden has to ruin this almost great chapter almost perfect chapter by thinking something along the lines of this might have aroused me if i hadn't seen her true form which is such a creepy yeah. thing to say <laughs> dresden like yeah. come on yeah yeah that yeah um i did really like the way her um <clears throat> like her obsession with the blood on his neck as yes. he was trying to continue the conversation how it really elevated the tension like it could have easily gone that like after they had the the little fight and he got her to settle down and like promise not to attack him it could have just been relaxed and back to a conversation yes um but the tension the is tension really held is by still just there. yeah this focus on the blood on his neck and how she's like barely holding herself back yes and dresden knows he doesn't have any more tools at his disposal so if she attacks he's pretty much dead yeah, he's, he's trying to bluff her at this stage. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great chapter. And the ending is so powerful where he she sends Dresden away and says, oh, my aide will come and, come and give you the information. I just need you out of my house. And he's like, okay, fine. And then that doesn't happen. And we know it's because she has just killed that aide. That aide, mm. she, the, the fight, encounter she had with Dresden was enough to mean that she lost control enough when dr- draining this aide that she didn't intend to kill to accidentally kill them and i think this is the first beat of dresden seeing his actions having a really powerful negative consequence that he actually does feel bad about it's it's a quite a powerful ending i thought and and gives me hope that this book is going in some really good directions for harry 
I think it's interesting. I actually kind of got the impression that she did it on purpose. That like that was the message. Oh, really? Because she was like, she was like, I'm going to send you a message and you'll regret this later. And then the message he's given from the guy with the phone is just regret. Right. And so like, I I thought the implication there is that uh, like he's meant to regret that his actions got the aide killed. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I, I admit that's a bit of a leap to get there, but that was what I made when I was trying to interpret why she just wrote regret. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 a great ending to the, to yeah, the scene. Yeah, it's very powerful. Again, uh, Dresden is again like, well, I've made another enemy, which yeah. is uh, just what I needed. Yeah. Yeah, of course, that's what he takes from it. Not that he's just accidentally gotten an innocent <laughs> girl killed. But great. Thanks, Dresden. Yeah. Um, that's the end of our discussion about the, the first book of the Dresden Files. Uh, yeah. It, look, there's so much to love in this book, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, like, I, I'm, I, I am enjoying it. I yes, want to enjoy it even more. Yes. Um, where Harry's at right now is preventing me from doing that, but, like, Won't it feel so sweet where... when he turns around and he becomes just a nice, good character? <laughs> I, like, I honestly think, like, like when not if yeah, when, when that happens like that will retroactively yes turn a lot of the story around in my head like yeah I'll, why don't I'll we just assume that it. happens and then all our criticism about dresden can just be washed away with the tides because of course that's going to happen because it would be insane for harry not to grow <laughs> as a character over the course of this book he must yeah pretty much like that's that's basically where i'm working off of yeah it's like, perfect book. he's, dri- he's driving perfect. me nuts right now yeah. but but you know so did blake yeah, at various yeah. points it's intentional that he's meant to be this much of an asshole and he will turn around and all the criticisms will be in retrospect not not worth talking about so yeah or that'll have been the point and yeah, that makes it okay exactly and it's perfect and it's great so therefore great book so thank you enamored for bringing us just <laughs> i did actually quite like yeah. i found myself really enjoying this book a lot it's just that one thing that just kept it's like uh standing on the same rake over and over again <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, but no, you're right. Like, there's so much to love in, in yes. this book as well. Um, and you know, if you enjoyed this episode yeah. and you want to see it continue, uh, we have a form in the show notes below that we Heck mentioned. Yeah, we do. And if you plug your feedback in there, we'll take it into consideration uh, at the end of pilot season. Yeah, you can let us know which pilot you think should be uh, extended to season. So um, leave your thoughts in that form. Or hey, head on to the Discord, the Doof Media Discord. You can leave us your thoughts there. Yes, uh, we've been having great interactions with with our patrons, uh, talking about each episode as it comes out and getting really good feedback from them. So it's a great place to get in touch with us a bit more directly, uh, you know, about how you think each one's going. Yeah. Um, And you get access to that Discord for just $1 a month or more. That's so cheap, Elliot. Um, That's like the cheapest thing that could possibly (laughs) even be. Yep. Uh, and in fact, uh, that's not the only perk you get. You get a bunch of what? others, including the ability to vote on the next game in the game club. Um, yeah, we're starting a new show going that's, on. that's happening yeah. this weekend. Yeah, one of the so one of the votes for the game club is going on right now. In fact, we are having the game club itself on Friday night American mm-hmm. time, and uh, at the end of that, we'll be announcing the winner of the new vote. Uh, and those votes are done by our patrons. So if you're interested in the game club. And you come check it out and you like it and you want to have a bit more of a say in which games we cover, uh, the best way to do that is at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yeah, um, come tune in for the Game Club. We'll be talking about uh, Hollow Knight for our very first episode. And you can actually also uh, send us your thoughts on Metroidvanias in general by sending us an email at mediaemptypodcast at gmail.com. So do that. Come check out the Game Club. Check out the Patreon. And uh, yeah, that's that's it for uh, Semi-Automagic. Yes, uh, next week we'll be back to do our next pilot, which is Stone Age Meeples. Oh, and what book uh, is that covering? You might want to explain this one because it's your baby. (laughs) Yeah, um, this isn't... Oh, my God, Elliot, get ready for this. I think this might be the first Doof podcast or even just podcast in general that isn't talking about TV shows or books. Um, What we'll be doing is we're going to be uh, basically looking at and playing a bunch of ancient board games. So Stone Age Meeples is a show where we'll be taking a look at the history of and the rules of and the top tier elite gamer strategies for a bunch of ancient (laughs) board games. Um, First episode for the pilot episode, we'll be talking about an ancient Egyptian board game called Sinet. So make sure you come in next week to check that out. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. It's going to be so different, um, and I'm really keen to get into some old games and see what they're like. Yeah. Um, So we'll see you next week for our next pilot. 
Are you going to do the bit? Where oh, yeah. Sorry, Elliot. And as always, <laughs> as always, of course, give us your signature sign off. What we always say at the end of every episode of Semi Auto Magic, that classic sign off. Here it comes. Shoot first, ask questions later. There it is. And we'll see you next week.